technically this morning in this message, uh, this is message one or session one from our one day men's event titled Royal Responsibility. And so this morning I am attempting, because it's not just all men in here, I am attempting a few different things with you as an audience. One, I'm speaking to husbands. Husbands, I'm trying to challenge and encourage you to love your wives properly. Wives, I am giving you a biblical understanding as to what your husband should desire and by the grace of God strive to do for you. Single ladies, all the single ladies, (laughs) I am giving you what you should be looking for in a man. Okay, I'm giving you what you should be looking for in a man if, in fact, you are looking for a man. You may not be looking for a man. And to you, I say, probably smart. Uh, (laughs) Men that you will date, men that you will court, men that you will marry one day, Lord willing, this is the kind of man you're to be looking for. And single men, I am giving you what you should strive toward and attempt to be in maturity so that one day you will be able to love your wife properly. So I'm addressing husbands and wives and single ladies and single men. I'm trying to address all of you. And I want to do that by taking us to Ephesians chapter 5. We're just going to be looking at one verse this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, addressing the relationship between men and women and using the relationship between husbands and wives as a picture of Christ and the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me pray. And then we will talk about this verse. Lord, I come to you and I want to be the first one to admit that I am incapable of loving my wife as you love the church without your help. Can't do it. Can't even begin to do it. Can't even begin to desire to do it. Unless you, Jesus, the power of your Holy Spirit, moves within me, gives me a burning desire to love my wife properly. Gives me the, the, the power then to live that out every single day. Gives me the humility to love my wife like you love the church. And Lord, I know that's the case for every husband in this room, for every future husband in this room, for every wife looking at her husband, for every single lady that may at one point have a husband. Lord, we, this is what we, we want. This is what we strive for. But Lord, this has got to be done by your power and your will and your strength. So we ask, Lord, as we study your word this morning, that you would put within us a burning desire for this reality to play out in our lives. As we, as husbands, love our wives as you love the church and gave yourself up for her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get into the actual text and we start breaking down the text here, I want to give us a moment about the cultural context in which Paul was writing. I think it's important for us to know why this verse 
specifically this verse, is so powerful uh, in the context in which Paul was actually writing. The backdrop of this passage is in a Greco-Roman society. All of the views and ideas about men and women are all framed within a Greco-Roman society. And so I want to spend a couple minutes talking about how the Greco-Roman society viewed men and women and husbands and wives. First, the Greeks believed that Zeus was the... Zeus and the other gods really got mad at man because man stole fire. And they didn't want men to steal fire at that point, but man stole fire, and so Zeus and the other gods were mad at man. And so they punished them by making a woman. Her name was Pandora. Zeus made Pandora the first woman to be a punishment to man who stole fire. The manner in which they believe gods made women is that they made the women, these mortal women, morally, physically, and emotionally, and mentally weak. And that their bodies, since they were, the, they were in contrast to men, their bodies were imperfect and mutilated compared to the perfection of man. So right off the bat, we find out that the Greeks, leading into the Romans, right, that the Roman society came from the Greek society, that they believed that women were a punishment to ultimate manhood. Marriage, therefore, simply became a necessary evil. It was not something that was longed for. It was not something that was treasured or necessarily valued. Men knew they had to take wives in order for them to have more boys, more men. Husbands in the Greco-Roman society did not have to be faithful to their wives. The wives had to be faithful to their husbands, but the husbands didn't have to be faithful to their wives. Men could divorce their wife for any reason. Women could not divorce at all. Women were completely dependent upon man, and they basically had the same rights as children. And once those boys became a certain age, the boys had more rights than even their mothers did. Women were not educated highly. They could not work in society at large. They had to simply work from home. They were to stay at home. They were considered the priestess to the gods. That they were responsible for the moral decay of the nation. So here's what that means. That means if Rome wasn't doing well or the Greek society wasn't doing well, maybe they were losing battles or they were losing wars or something terrible was going on. Guess who would get blamed for that? The women. If you were at home being the priestesses you should be, our nation would not be in the mess that we're in today. In short, women were a necessary evil that were objects to be used and discarded. This is the context in which Paul is writing. This is how the society thought about women that Paul says. So when Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that is a radical statement given the cultural society in which he is writing. A radical statement. What about our society today? Surely we, as a society, 
We are enlightened. Surely we are morally superior to the Greco-Roman society. Surely we as a society have got it all figured out how this role of men and women and husband and wives is supposed to work. I heard a bunch of no, 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 and I think you're, I think you're right, right, right. Let me first say this. I think we live in a society where millions and millions and millions of men believe that the definition of manhood is to be physically and emotionally strong, authoritative, meant to rule, be in command. You can't show weakness or emotions. You have to man up. You got to be tough, even if you don't want to be tough. Even if you can't be tough, you got to be tough. And if you don't believe that you're tough, if you don't believe this about yourself, which most men don't, by the way, so you know what men do? They put on a false bravado so that nobody else will think they're weak. I can't believe, I, I can't think of myself being weak, but most men really don't think of themselves properly. And so what they do is they put on a false bravado and that pro false bravado tries to prevent other people from thinking they're weak. And what this does is this produces a society where you have a bunch of men who manifest this false bravado in violence and aggression. We have a violent, aggressive society when it comes to manhood in the United States of America. Just think about how many men think it is okay to raise their voice at a woman. If we just were to stop right there, we got some things messed up in the United States. We got men thinking it's okay to raise their voice to their wives, to yell at their wives, to yell at, at, at women in general. They think there's nothing wrong with that. Well, she yelled at me. She was going at me. I had to go back at her. You don't know how to be a man. Think about how many men threaten women on a daily basis or even act in such a way that makes the wife feel threatened on a daily basis. Do you know that one third of all women say they have been physically abused by their, their romantic male partner? In the United States of America, one third of all women say they have been physically abused by their male romantic partner. Another one third say they have been sexually abused by their male romantic partner. And that is not to mention the fact that experts say only 1% of abuse gets reported. I believe men today don't think of women really a whole lot different than the Greco-Romans did. They are objects to be used and discarded. We use them for whatever we want to use them for. And we can discard them easily. We can objectify them. We can use them. Women today are less educated, less paid, and less valued when compared to their male, male counterparts. And I believe it's because we have allowed the Greco-Roman culture to influence us. And if we want to do a bigger history lesson, we can go to the Victorian era and we can find out how the Greco-Roman society got Christianized in the Victorian era. And then it made its way 
here in the United States. We have a, a problem when it comes to what it looks like to be a man. And Paul has something to say about this devaluing of women. Paul has something to say about this. The Holy Spirit has something to say about this. God himself has something to say about this. And so Paul makes this statement that is not only radical in the Greco-Roman society, this statement is radical today, church. This is a radical statement. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's break this down and talk about it a little bit this morning. My three points are very creative. Um, if, you, if you want to go ahead and put point one up, look how creative this is. Husbands, love your wives. I got that point. From the, 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 the words here, husbands love your wives. I, I tried some other points and, and tried to make it fail miserably. So I'm just going to give you the words and we're going to talk about the words and nothing creative for my points today. Paul begins his instructions to husbands by saying, husbands love your wives. Now I want to stop because I find something very, very interesting. He has just told wives to submit to, submit to their husbands, right? And in the verses previous to this, Paul has laid out that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Now, if you are thinking just in natural terms, then what you would expect is for Paul to say, wives submit to your husbands, husbands exercise headship and authority over your wife. That would be kind of the counter. If you, were, if you were just countering submit, you would go, okay, submit to your husbands, and husbands rule, lord, have authority, um, exercise headship over your wife. That is not what Paul says. There is no mention here of, of exercising authority or ruling at all. You might expect that, but that's not what he says. In the culture in which Paul is writing, guess what husbands were doing? Lording authority over their wives. Ruling over their wives in an inappropriate way. For Paul, the idea of a husband being the head of the home meant loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, I, I, want, us, I want us to get this because I think this is really, really, really important. Jesus is the head of the church. Correct? How did he love his church? Did he come to earth lording his authority over people? Were his messages about, I am Lord and King, bow before me. I rule. I'm the head of the church. Don't you know this? Don't you know who I am? I'm King Jesus, the Messiah. Is that how he came? What did he, what did he come do? He came and loved people. And the loving of people caused those people to submit to his authority. He didn't have to run around yelling at people to submit to him. Here's what I think. I think when men have to run around telling women to submit to men all the times, I think that reveals a problem with the man, not the woman. Because if you love like Jesus, people are going to be attracted to that. People are going to want to be around that. Especially if you've got a Christian godly wife. 
And I love that Paul, he, he doesn't start talking about exercising authority and lording and ruling. And he doesn't, he, 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 he's going to tell us that husbands are the head of the home. He's not avoiding that statement. Husbands are the head of the home. But for Paul, when it comes to exercising what it means to be the head of the home, it means loving like Jesus. That's what it means to be the head of the home. Loving like Jesus. Now this statement of loving, this is key for Paul when it comes to men and women and husband and wives. It's not an overwhelmingly shocking statement or insightful principle. But when you understand Paul's choice of words, why Paul chooses the word love in the Greek language that he does, we get to see something a little bit different than just the English word. There are four different words in the Greek language for love. If, you, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard these different words for love. One is the word uh, eros or eros. It's where we get the word erotic. It, it, it's romantic love. It is this romantic sexual desire for someone. Paul doesn't use that word. He doesn't say, husbands, eros, your wives. He doesn't say storge. Storge is family love. Familial love. He doesn't say, husbands, storge, your wives. Another word for love is philia. Brotherly love, friendship love. He doesn't say husbands have philia love or, or friendship love for your wife. Now, Paul's not saying none of those should be involved in a marriage. All of those should be involved in a marriage. But here's what Paul understands. Paul understands that you don't have to be a Christian for those three types of love to manifest in a relationship. Right? Lost people who are husband and wife, can be very close friends. Lost people who are husband and wife can obviously have family love for one another. Lost people who are husband and wife can have romantic love for one another. Paul understands this, and Paul understands that those three words have a lot to do with emotion. And so natural human beings can emote and have the feelings of those three types of love. What Paul's going to do is Paul's going to go deeper. He's going to use a word for love that's not driven by emotion, but is driven by will and mind, resulting in action. It is the word, what church? Agape. It's the word agape. The word agape is different. The word agape is not really emotional love. It's not a, it's not a word that's based on Feelings, but it's based on decisions. Agape love is a word that when the other three aren't there, guess what? You can still do. Because it doesn't come from how you feel. It comes from your will and your mind and your desire to do it. I've been married for over 20 years. There's a lot of times where these other three loves don't necessarily manifest themselves in the way we feel toward each other every day. If you've been married for any period of time, you know what this is like. Sometimes you just have a day where a husband and wife, you just butt heads about everything. Just butt heads about everything. 
It's like no matter what you say, the other person takes it wrong, and then that person takes it wrong, and then you defend yourself, and then they defend themselves, and it just goes on and on and on. And at the end of the night, you're not sitting there going, I just really have some Eros love right now. It's not the way it works, right? Those, those loves that are based on the emotion and the feeling, those can come and go. Sometimes you feel real, a real familial, brotherly friendship with your husband or wife, and sometimes you don't. And Paul knows this. And so Paul is, is not using the words that are driven from the emotion because he knows that comes and goes. He's using a word that is driven from the will and the mind. The word agape has to do with sacrificial service, willing to sacrifice and serve for the other person, expecting nothing in return. This is not about being nice or kind. Those are good things. It's bigger than that. It's deciding to practice self-denial, self-sacrifice on behalf of your wife. If I don't have romantic feelings toward my wife, guess what? Has nothing to do with agape. Nothing. If I don't feel real close to Jessica on a day, it's got nothing to do with my agape. It may affect the eros and it may affect the, the storge and it may affect the, the brotherly love. Has nothing to do with agape. And Paul is saying, listen, in a society that views women the way that they viewed women and the way that we often view women in our society, Paul is saying, listen, husbands, you are to agape your wife. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what kind of day you're having. You are to sacrificially self-deny for your wife. There is an author who wrote a book called I Loved a Girl. He describes... Love this way, this kind of love this way. Listen to what he says. He said, let me tell you what it really should mean if a fellow says to a girl, I love you. It means you, 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 you alone. You shall reign in my heart. You are the one whom I have longed for and without you I am incomplete. I will give everything for you. I will give up everything for you, myself as well as all that I possess. I will love you alone. I will work for you alone and I will wait for you alone. I will never force you, not even by words. I want to guard you, protect you and keep you from all evil. I want to share with you all of my thoughts, my heart, and my body, all that I possess. I want to listen to what you have to say, and there is nothing I want to undertake without your blessing. I want to remain always by your side. This is the responsibility of husbands, to make the decision with the mind and the will to deny myself, to sacrifice everything I am on behalf of my wife. And then he says, as Christ loved the church. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you think most men think about love in these terms? Just in our society. Do you think most men in our society think about loving their wife in the terms that we just talked about in that first part? No, they do not. How many times do we hear stuff like, you know, I just fell out of love? What they mean is I fell out of those romantic feelings. They don't understand what agape means. And I would love to say that the church has got it all figured out. But I don't think we do either. Paul understands that this kind of love is not going to come naturally to men. He knows that 
that this is not going to just be something that's in natural man, that this is going to come only as we learn at the feet of Jesus. Man, I need you to listen to me here. You will not agape your wife unless you are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because he's the one who did it perfectly. And he's the one where we learn how to do it. If you're not sitting at his feet, you are not going to agape your wife as you should. The Old Testament uses the imagery of marriage often to depict a covenant relationship between Yahweh and his people Israel. I'm going to read you one of them. Isaiah 54, 5 and 6 says this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. That's just one of the passages in the Old Testament where God, using the language of marriage, talks about himself being the husband and Israel being the wife. And then guess what Jesus does when he shows up on the scene? He takes this language and he gets even more specific with it. And he says, I am the bridegroom. I am the husband in this picture. The church is the bride made up of Gentiles and Jews. And I am their husband. The culmination, the ultimate fulfillment of this picture of marriage is between God and His people and Jesus and His people. So Paul is tying together the Old Testament teaching and the fulfillment in Christ, namely the sacrificial faithfulness of Jesus for His people. The, the, the kingdom bridegroom, the covenant that he has for his bride, laying down his life, and he is applying it to husbands. He's saying, husbands, the way that God has loved the church through Jesus Christ as the husband is the way you are supposed to love your wife. That is powerful and huge. And if you read it and, and, and you get a little intimidated, men, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you hear that and go, how am I supposed to love my wife the way God loved Israel and the way Jesus loves his church? How, how am I possibly supposed to be able to do this? And the answer is, you won't. Unless you get at the feet of Jesus. Unless you humble yourselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to learn what it's like to love from you. I want to love people the way you love people. I want to serve people the way you serve people. I want to give of myself the way that you gave of yourself. It is only knowing the character of God in Christ that men will learn to love their wives. The more you get to know the heart of Jesus, the more you will love your wife. You'll know what love looks like because you've been with Jesus. So husbands, are you imitating Jesus? Do you sit with him in his word? Do you glean from his heart? If not, you've got no chance to obey this command from Paul. No chance. It ain't just going to come naturally, guys. Then he says he gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As Paul is thinking about Christ loving his church, his mind obviously goes 
to Jesus laying down His life on the cross. There is no greater sacrifice than Jesus could make for, for the church than by laying down His life for us. Giving up Himself. No display of Christ's love is greater than the husband laying down his life for his wife. Paul describes this kind of humble sacrifice in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. And he says this, Jesus Christ, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If Jesus humbles Himself this way to give for His bride... How are we men thinking that we don't have to humble ourselves to give up for our bride? If we're supposed to love like Jesus, Jesus humbled himself like no one has ever humbled themselves. Not only willing to become a human being, but willing to become a, a, a human being that could die. But not just any death, death on a cross. It just got worse and worse and worse and worse as he humbled himself. But that's what he did for his bride. There's a story of a Greek general in contrast to how society viewed women. There's a story of a Greek general who was off at war and he was fighting and he was battling and he was doing uh, his thing as a general. And somewhere along the way, his wife was accused of a, of, a, of a crime and she was going to get executed while he was away. He finds out about it and finds out the day that her execution is supposed to be and all this kind of stuff. And so he comes running back into the city and he, he runs into the courtroom where his wife is standing there and he, and he throws himself down before the the judge or the king. And he says, I don't care what she did. I don't care if it's true. If it's not true, don't kill her. Kill me instead. And the king judge being so moved with compassion for seeing something that wasn't seen in that society decided to spare her life. As the wife is led out by one of her maidservants, the maidservant said to the, to the wife, did you see the king's face as he was so moved with compassion for you? And she said, no, I didn't. I couldn't take my eyes off my husband. You see, when sacrifice like that begins to happen, when men begin to love their wives as Christ loved the church, their wives begin to love their husbands even more and more and more and more. The principle is, how did you come to love Jesus? Because he first loved you. Church, I said a while ago that this isn't some deep, insightful, hard-to-understand thing. This is just love expressed through sacrifice, through service. And the truth is, men, I'm concerned. I'm concerned because if we can't love our wives properly, then we're not loving God properly. 
Let me, let me say that again. If you are not loving your wife properly, then you are not loving God properly. Your first responsibility in loving God is to love your wife. It is to love your wife. Do not say, I love Jesus and treat your wife horrible. Guess what? You don't love Jesus. That's, that's harsh, Neil. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, can, who he sees cannot love God whom he cannot see. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Don't say you love God and not love your wife. If you can't love the wife you can see, then you can't love God who you can't see. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned for those that profess Jesus Christ in our country. Not a week goes by that we don't hear stories of abuse in the church. Husbands abusing their wives. We saw the statistics. Happens all the time. We come to church and we raise our hands and we sing our songs and we go to Bible study and we, we give and we participate in the activities of the church and then we go home and we don't love our wives as Christ loved the church. All that other stuff meant nothing. Nothing. Your first responsibility in proof of love to God is loving your wife. Jesus is not here in the flesh, but his body is. She lives with me. I'm married to her. How can I say I love Jesus and treat his body with disrespect? So I'm concerned for us. And by the way, in 1 John chapter 4, guess what Greek word Paul uses, I mean John uses for love? Agape. If you can't agape the one that you can see, don't say you agape God. If you can't sacrificially serve your wife, then don't say you love God. I'm not saying that. Jesus' best friend said that. So I'm concerned for us men. Concerned for me. So I would love to say I, I love God in these big, grandioso ways. Truth is, if you want to find out if I love Jesus, probably ought to go talk to my wife. Some days I don't love Jesus like I should. Because I don't love her like I should. I once heard someone say, we're not falling out of love, we're falling out of repentance. On those days that I don't love her like I should, I need to repent. Ask for her forgiveness. Admit. I was prideful today and I didn't love you like I should. I didn't love you like Jesus loves you and I'm sorry. You see, church, we have been called, husbands, to a very large calling. Loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Not running around demanding authority and demanding headship and demanding rule. 
we've been called to love. To love like Jesus. You say, but aren't we supposed to be strong men, Neil? Isn't that what God calls us to, to be strong leaders and men? Yes. Now what does that strength look like? I think it looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what I think it looks like. So with all the other pictures you may have in your head, what it means to be manly, let's start with the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus displayed perfectly, that the greatest man who ever lived displayed perfectly. Do you understand the strength it takes to humble yourself to give over to the Holy Spirit? The strength that it takes a man to set aside his pride and to humble himself and walk in the Spirit of God and display the fruits of the Spirit. Do you understand the strength that it takes to do that? See, that's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for some sacrificial service from husbands. So I got no problem with the, the term man up. Someone says, man, you just need a man up. Yeah, you do need a man up. Start loving like Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a man, to love like Jesus. And the picture that we got from the Greco-Romans and the picture that we get today in our society does not picture what it means to be a man. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn it.